the reading is James first uh, chapter 9 through 18. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the man who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of his first fruits of all he created. Amen. Amen. We are continuing on our series in the book of James. Last week we learned that James was encouraging us on the path to spiritual Maturity, spiritual completeness. We were reminded by Pastor Logan that it requires wisdom. And God is willing to give us wisdom. Amen? <laughs> and, and we were told that it's uh, an essential weapon to fight against evil. That it's not a natural attribute. But it is gain. Or acquired through experience. Although, unfortunately, we were reminded that being old does not necessarily say that we are wise. But it does come through experience. And a question that God asks us sometimes so often is as you've gone through your trials, as you've gone through your testings, as you've gone through your life experience, God would simply ask us, why didn't you come to me? Hmm. This morning we're going to focus on James chapter 1 verse 12 and the, and the verses surrounding that, which reads, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The term tapping out and the action of tapping out. It's a combat sport term for yielding to the opponent. 
and hence resulting in an immediate defeat. This submission is often performed by visibly tapping the floor or the opponent with the hand or in some cases with the foot to signal to the opponent or to the referee that you have given up and that the other person has won. In our battle, and we are in a spiritual battle, in our battle with the adversary of the soul, we will not tap out. Turn to your neighbor, folks, and say, I am not giving in. I am not giving up. The message today is about overcoming temptation. So let's start by being real with each other. Temptation is simply the lure of doing wrong when faced with the opportunity of a moral choice. Sometimes that choice is very open and very clear, but sometimes that choice is subtle, very nebulous. One thing that we have to understand, if not admit to ourselves, is that sin, <laughs> sin is enjoyable. You didn't think you'd hear that from a preacher, huh? <laughs> but if we're really, really real, and we're really, really true to ourselves, sin is enjoyable. Because if it wasn't enjoyable, then we wouldn't be drawn to it. If it wasn't enjoyable, it wouldn't be that popular. <laughs> After all, according to the Freudian psychoanalysis, the pleasure principle is the instinctive seeking of pleasure and avoiding of pain to satisfy biological and psychological needs. People sin because they like it and it gives temporal and almost always immediate gratification and pleasure. No, no, understand this that sin is pleasurable because we are a fallen people born into this world with an inclination towards sin, a propensity to thinking and doing that which is wrong, going against the very laws of the God who created us. We can conclude that not because sin is pleasurable, it means that it's good for us. Actually, it's exact opposite. Because according to James, after sin has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. It is very clear. Sin leads to death, spiritual and eternal death. Let me read that scripture again. Because that scripture has a little portion of it that really can speak to us. 
Desire is conceived and it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, <laughs> you hear that? Sin, when it is fully grown. So the concept here and the picture here is that sin can actually grow on you. The fence on the side of our property that's bordering, it abuts the um, Harvard Legal Services, and you can see the tea station right there. It has a number of trees on there. Those trees are slowly being killed. You don't see it day by day. You don't see it even month by month. But you take a picture now, you take a picture five years from now, you'll see, you'll see the change. You'll see the difference. You'll see the, the trees slowly dying. Every single one of those trees have some chokers, some vines. They wrap around the trunk. They wrap around the branches. They wrap around the big branches. They wrap around the small branches. They wrap and they just squeeze. And they're slowly killing the trees. The vines, they don't seem very, they seem almost harmless when they are small. But when they grow, as they grow and get stronger, and their stranglehold becomes so much tighter, they become more effective. Those stranglers are like sin in our lives. If we allow sin to mature in our lives, it will bring death. And the danger is we cannot, with our human, you know, um, with our human senses, we, we, we just don't have the ability to see the influence of sin on a day-by-day -day basis, just as how we can't see the influence of the vines on these trees on a day-by-day -day basis. You look, you go out after service and look at the trees, you come back tomorrow, you won't see a difference. You won't. Matter of fact, you can come back next week and you probably won't see a difference. The subtleness and the deceitfulness of sin works like that. But it can grow on you so you become accustomed to it and it becomes a part of you, and you accept it as a part of your life, as a part of your being. And God says, I did not make you that way. Amen. The book of Genesis says that when God created, He saw everything, and God said, and God saw that it was good. 
Now we say good, but the Hebrew word actually means pure. <laughs> and God created all things and God saw that it was pure. My brothers and sisters, don't, don't let sin grow on you. And one way to do that is to take ownership and confess. In our everyday life, if something goes wrong, the question that comes to everyone's mind is, whose fault is it? An error at work is made. As soon as it is discovered, the question is asked, who messed up? And, you know, sometimes that question, who messed up, is expressed in more floral language. And the blame game begins. You know what I'm talking about. We have all participated in this, sometimes as the finger pointer, sometimes as the finger pointee. <laughs> Those of us old enough to remember the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm aging myself now, the Flip Wilson show. <laughs> oh, I, I only hear one person laugh. I, that, I'm sorry, but that, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. Joe, come on, Joe. You remember it. One of the most used phrases in the Flip Wilson show, Flip Wilson will say, The devil made me do it. See, this comedy show actually was dramatizing a human experience reality. We play the blame game instead of taking responsibility for our action. I teach middle and high school math. And sometimes I overhear my students answering a question from their parents about a recent test, math test that they had done. Usually, if the student got a good grade, they might answer something like this. <laughs> I got a 95 on my math test, mom. <laughs> if they got a low score, I have overheard kids say, oh, Mr. Mason gave me a 62. We're no different. We're no different than those kids. Because blaming others is nothing new to humankind. Recall the story of Adam and Eve after they disobeyed God and was questioned by God. The first court case. Check out the Genesis chapter 3 account of the interaction between Adam and Eve and God. In verse 11, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Asked the Lord God. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man answered, The woman! <laughs> Come 
Come on now. God is asking him about his actions. And what's the first thing he did? Blame game. The woman. Adam was. He was, he was, on, he was on double defense uh, level now. He didn't just say the woman. He said the woman you gave me. Whoa. <laughs> he not only blamed Eve. He blamed God. He was, oh, well, you know, I mean, couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> he said, the, the woman you gave me, gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Yeah, he's going to say, I ate it, but uh, you know what? It wasn't really my fault because, uh, you know, you know, God, you know, if, if you had left me by myself, I would be, I'd be good. But you gave me this woman and she influenced me and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? Now he's talking to Eve and he's asking her about her actions. What is it that you have done? <laughs> Eve's, uh, well, you know. Adam already blamed me. He already blamed God. He said, well, the serpent deceived me. Pointing the finger, the blame game. The blame game. James speaks clearly on the origin of temptation. He says, when tempted... No one should say, God tempted me. Whoa, Adam, your excuse is up. <laughs> no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he is lured away and enticed. We're tempted because we're drawn away by our own sinful nature. We just concluded a series on the book of 1 John. Remember that? Where John reminded us that for everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whosoever does the will of God will live forever. Amen. Amen. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Hmm. What's the proverb says? Pride comes before. Pride is a killer. My dad was and every time I say this I have to explain to people what my son says and they're so true. My dad was a bodybuilder and yes my two sons you know Colin and Kevon is probably you know 40 pounds heavier and the same height and my son say dad I think it skipped a generation. <laughs> He was also the co-owner of a gym, and when you know, that, that partnership split up, he had a lot of uh, weight training equipment you know, brought to our home. 
So we had a little mini gym set up in the back. And when I got involved with the local church, Richmond Park Church of the Nazarene, um, we, 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 our youth group um, youngsters came and used the gym. And there's another young man whose name was also Patrick, Patrick Davey. They were boasting about, you know, you know, who was stronger, you know, just like, you know, what young men do. And, um, you know, uh, Owen was another young man, and Owen got on the bench and, you know, pressed. I don't, I don't remember what the numbers were, what the weights were, but, you know, he had done like six or seven reps. And, and you know, Patrick got on the thing and he says, uh, 10 pounds here, 10 pounds here, 20 more pounds. Looked at him and said, yeah. Patrick got on and he did one, two. And then he said, uh, techie, 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 techie. As the weight, the force of the, of the weights were winning the battle against his triceps, and the, and the bar started coming down and the possibility of crushing his chest, he simply cried out, take it, take it, take it. But of course, in the Jamaican dialect, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. And two of us grabbed as, as, as you know, you know there were, you know, spotters. So, you know, we grabbed the end and we, he never lived that down. For many weeks after, many months after, we did not call him Patrick. Hey, Techie! <laughs> See, he was drawn in and he succumbed to the dangerous situation. He was drawn in by pride. And his own lust of self-gratification was defeated. Yep, pride is a killer. We also have to understand that temptation is here. <laughs> it ain't going nowhere. It's here. James does not say, if a man is tempted... James writes it like this. He says, when a man is tempted, it's coming, folks, and we have to be ready. Let me say that again. Temptation is coming, folks, and we have to be ready. Temptation is not going away. Because the enemy of our soul, he is not giving up. Scripture says that he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's here to steal, kill, and to destroy. God, on the other hand, comes to give life and peace and deliverance from the very temptation that our sinful nature has drawn us to. God is here to give us victory. How can we access that Victory, we confess and trust God and God alone to overcome temptation. 
If we ask, what does God say about your situation? Does the Bible speak to me about what I'm going through? Brothers and sisters, listen to the voice of God. Seek His wisdom that we heard of last week. Seek His wisdom. Rely upon His promises. For His word is sure. James says, God doesn't it's not like a shifting shadow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is ultimately reliable. See, sometimes when we are going through a tough time, and this is not saying that we're not ultra-spiritual. But I... I want to be real. I want to be down to earth. I want to come to where my experience is, to where your experience is, day-to-day living. Because sometimes when we're going through a tough time, isn't it true that the last thing that sometimes we want to hear is a brother or sister preaching to us? <laughs> Throwing scripture at you in volumes? Sometimes the worst thing that we can do is to listen to everybody who has some kind of advice to give. And we try to please everybody. It can drive you crazy. Seek God. Seek God's word. Let God's word speak to your situation. Amen? Amen? Let God's word come alive and speak to your situation. Because, you know, you, you're hearing this person, you, you know, you're hearing that person, you, hear, you, you, you follow this advice and this advice conflicts and it, it can drive you crazy. There's a story about an old man walking with a young boy. And they're leading a, a donkey. So they're walking through a village with their donkey. And the boy rode. And the old man walked. As they went along, they passed some people. And they heard the remarks of the people. It was a shame. The old man was walking and the boy was riding. The man and the boy thought maybe the critics were right, so they changed positions. Short time later, they passed some other people who remarked, What a shame! He makes the little boy walk and he rides. And so then they decided they would both walk. Soon they passed some more people who thought, that's stupid to walk when they have a donkey to ride. And they heard that comment, so they both rode the donkey. As they both rode the donkey, now they passed some people that shamed them by saying, how cruel, uh, you know, vet. 
How cruel! How cruel! How awful to put such a load on the poor donkey! You should not do that! Soon after that, as they turned the corner, people looked in amazement at the old boy and the donkey. They were both struggling to walk with the donkey on their back. <laughs> you try to listen to everybody, try to please everybody, it will drive you crazy. Seek God and God alone. God promises us that he will not give us more than we can bear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 states, There has no temptation taken you. This is King James. This is, this is the very first scripture that I learned after I gave my heart to God. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, but will with Every temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God says that anyone who comes to him, he will not turn away. Amen. See, there is a reward. There is a, a reward for overcoming. Because James tells us in chapter 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. To persevere. Persevere means to continue a course of action even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. That is humanly speaking. But God says, Blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial. Continues. The course of action. In the face of difficulty. With seemingly little or no prospect of success. But you continue and you hold fast. And you hold fast to your faith. And God says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. You will see it through. Amen. During the... Olympics, even even actually, I think they even do it on the Boston Marathon. What do they give the um, winner of the Boston Marathon? Huh? The laurel wreath. Yeah. The laurel wreath is a, or the laurel crown, is a round wreath made of connected branches and leaves of the bay laurel. And It's a broadleaf evergreen. It is a symbol of triumph and is worn as a chapel around the head or as a garland around the neck. The symbol of the laurel wreath crown traces back to Greek mythology. 
Apollo, is said, is presented wearing a laurel wreath on his head, and wreaths were awarded to victors in athletic competition, even included the ancient Olympics, for which they were made of wild olive trees known as, as cotinas. In Rome, they were symbols of military victory, crowning a successful commander during his triumph. Christ has promised us this crown of life, this crown of life, because we are over more than overcomers. We, he has promised us this crown of life because we have overcome in Him. If we persevere in our trials, signifying that we are more than conquerors. Interestingly, the one who has promised us the crown of life had to wear the crown of death. The crown of thorns that was placed on his head on Calvary. We close with this glorious promise in verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the world of, word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He chose to give us birth, the second birth. Nicodemus didn't understand. <laughs> How can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. We have on the one side sin that can be conceived. And then when it's mature, Results in death. Then we have on the other side, God is saying, I am going to give you new birth. Amen. I am going to give you new birth. And when you are fully mature, you will receive a crown of life and you will be given eternal life. Hallelujah. I say choose life. I say choose life. And I'll say to the adversary of our souls, I will not give in. I will not give up. Can you say to a neighbor, I will not give in. I will not give up. Amen. Amen. We're going to spend some time in prayer.
This is the battle every single one of us are fighting. Every single one of us. Could we allow God to speak to our situation? Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Take ownership and confess. Trust God to empower. And with a determination, I'm not giving in. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving room to the devil. Paul wrote these words, he says, above all else, guard your heart. When everything is said and done, when everything is said and done, the most important thing, Paul says, guard your heart. Do that this morning as we pray.